0: It's a pleasure to be up here and it is an honor, first time in the pulpit speaking this way. And for those on the app stations and the Zoom, Scott Craig, the, uh, one of the deacons, uh, for the National Capital Public Church. And as uh, Hal said, Dan is wrestling nicely at home right now. His kin folks, the brothers and sister came in and out of town to see him and see how he's doing. Uh, this is kind of a continuation of, what we told you about, kind of being worn down on his trip and uh, getting COVID and having to just having a little relapse there. So he is recovering from that and deserve, uh, taking some deserved, uh, well, uh, rest right now. So keep him in your prayers. The hope is that he'll be back here Sunday to give you more information because he'll be going to his doctor, getting, to, getting inspected, as the Marine would say. And Jerry will be with him, uh, taking notes and probably his brother and uh, getting his immunotherapy, and then also getting the MRI. So hopefully he'll be able to, with his own words, uh, tell you how things are going at that point in time. I'd like to start off a verse right now, uh, Philippians 3, uh, 14 through 16. I press towards the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as be mature, have this, mo- this mind, If in anything you think otherwise, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Okay, here's uh, talking about be of the same mind. We must know the mind of Christ, uh, which is the word of God. Of course, today's lesson will focus on God's grace and humility, and both which are critical to our Christian walk and our own spiritual lives. Are we uh, in in or out of fellowship? Well, uh, we need to be, uh, to be able to uh, take in the Word of God on a daily basis. And here in church is very uh, very much a prerequisite. So the only way we can do that is to confess our sins, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And First uh, John 8 through 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're self-deceiving us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with that, uh, let's go to prayer to make sure we confess any known sins, and he is just uh, to forgive us of all our sins. And that way, the Holy Spirit will be part of us and allow us to understand the Word of God as it's taught today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this opportunity to come to you to make sure the slate is cr- clean so we can fully understand what is taught today, that we're in fellowship, we have God the Holy Spirit giving us the power to understand and then later to apply these truths uh, in our daily lives. We ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is our opportunity to worship the Lord in giving. In Second Corinthians 9, 6-7, through Paul is talking to the Corinthians about their attitude toward giving is never a matter of compulsion or a means of receiving offerings through guilt. It is a dependent on your own attitude in giving to the glory of God through whatever means and what you're able to. As verse 7 says, God loves a cheerful and willing giver. Therefore, as we bow our heads for a short prayer, I ask the deacons to come forward to receive the offerings. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this opportunity to... Uh, Apply the needs of this church. We uh, thank you for the opportunity to provide it. it we know that it is a blessing that you give that uh, those funds to us, and it also is a blessing and glorifies God when we give that some of those funds back to the church. So, with that in mind, Father, let's bless this offering uh, to uh, to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Anyway, while Bill is collecting this, I'll just start with saying that, again, it's a privilege to be in this pulpit. And by being in this pulpit, I recognize one thing when asked to do so. I don't have the years of the pastors and teachers that have studied the Word, dissected the Word, interpreted the Word, and all that. So today, I will be using a lot of verses, which is strictly from the Word of God, and I can't mess that up. And I'll be using some of the teachings and drawing from some of the teachings of Pastor Ingram and other pastors to allow this to mean more to you and understand what is being said in these verses. Being a, uh, being a, uh, a teacher in a Bible study, a little bit different from standing up here and talking for a full hour or whatever, half hour. So, Please uh, bear with me, and I'll do my Marine Corps best to uh, provide you with uh, some fulfilling uh, uh, doctrine today. Before I start, uh, like I said, I'm not to share with you translations and interpretations. Instead, I'll highlight uh, the uh, things that come from the Word of God to the topic I'll be speaking on today. And uh, again, our pastor has pulled, done a lot of yeoman work in pulling these things to do, and I just had to follow a trace and, and get to take take those words My thanks again to all those pastors that have provided any information that might be given to it, and I've titled that, Leverage the Grace of God with Humility. With that, let me ask you a couple of questions up front. First, what do you think is more prominent in today's population in the U.S.? Atheism, humanism, deism, religion, Christianity? And if you think it's Christianity, do you believe the majority of the churches are Christ-centered, or focus on something else, still calling themselves Christians. Let me read some extracts from an article of Everett uh, Piper, who uh, wrote an article for The Washington Times, called America's New Religion, Fake Christianity. In it, he highlights things can be on the alert. uh, We must be on alert when the term Christianity is used today. He begins his article by saying, Earlier this month, a Miss Rachel Brattens stated in the Western Journal, the American church has fallen, and a shocking poll shows fake Christianity has supplanted the biblical worldview thanks to a cultural co- corrosion and a lack of biblical literacy. A new fake Christianity is now being preached within the American church, which is called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now for an agony to be able to even pronounce that is pretty, pretty amazing. So I'll use it as an acronym, but from here on out. She describes it as a watered down, feel good, fake Christianity which is the most popular worldview in the United States and is geared towards making me feel good about myself, ultimately to make me happy. She ends by saying that Christian that embraces MTD are hesitant to assault the culture, adding, how can anyone pass judgment if everyone is just trying to be happy? After reading this article, some questions came to my mind. First, is it a problem to be happy? I don't think so. Is it bad to strive for happiness? Of course not. Then what is the problem with uh, what this article is trying to say? I believe the word of God clearly shows anything like this moralistic ther- uh, therapeutic deism and fortunately places the focus on ourselves, which is man or self-centered rather than Christ-centered. In other words, it focuses purely on human solutions to create happiness and not on divine solutions such as grace the grace of God they get, uh, is permanent, and that's where spiritual happiness can be only through Christ. Not superficial, it's not, and not temporal, it's permanent. Also, MTB uh, philosophy totally disregards the total depravity of man and sees God as someone who doesn't involve himself with man affairs. If this is true, then mankind would have never survived these 5,000 or so years. Let's move to some verses on the subject that will set the stage for today's topic. Let's uh, turn to Romans 3.23. And once you get there, I'll give you a chance. And if, Raise your hand if you don't uh, hear me say what verse it is, and I'll help you out, and I'll repeat it. So in Romans 3.23, everyone should know this verse by heart. For all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. Nelson Study Bible goes on to comment on this, Therefore, because we have sinned and fallen short, our only hope is faith in God, a faith that is the substance of, and you've heard this before, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that was in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And that uh, evidence of things not seen, what's that? That's empirical uh, uh, evidence. And we don't need empirical evidence. We need faith. Now, yes, there has been empirical evidence that has supported uh, the biblical ways. When Jesus was on this, uh, there's a lot of empirical evidence. and the, Of course, you always heard about doubting and Thomas. It said, show me the, the spikes in your hand, the holes in your hand, to prove it to me. He was not operating under faith. Okay, over to Mark 7, 22. Just go back a couple of uh, books. Mark 7:21. I'm sorry, 21, 7:21. For within, out of the heart, the soul of men, proceeds the evil thoughts, thefts, adulteries, fornications, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and that's one of our topics today, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. What's within? That's the whole sin nature and defile a man. Here, you know, these are just a smattering of a of the things that can destroy, uh, destroy our soul on a daily basis and pull us away from God. And note one of these is pride, I just mentioned, which is the direct opposite of humility. James four six says, but he giveth more grace, where wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's both our uh, both the things we're studying today is grace, and he gives it to the humble. And then in Genesis six 5 turn there and you probably think uh, you can uh, you know the context right now the context is during Noah's time and uh and he said the lord then the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only uh, was evil continually well here uh, again the backdrop is the Noah's Noah's time and we know the wickedness of the earth was tremendous the fallen angels uh, were procreating with the, uh, the earthly uh, women, uh, and uh, God could not uh, let that go because the line of Christ had to be uh, uh, taken care of. And it was, uh, there's only six people that were worthy of, uh, of being saved from what was to come. So some observations. Number one, uh, Noah's family had the humility of, needed to have complete faith in God's plan, especially when told to build an ark. And I would add, when any sea or any water is miles and miles and miles away, it kind of brings to mind that old uh, script uh, Cosby had uh, when he's talking to God about, and he's acting like no, and he says, uh, when God says build at 40 cubit or whatever, cubit by cubit, and he says, what's a cubit? <laughs> Well, Noah, Noah knew what a it was, and he built it by faith. The second one was the depravity of man is just as alive and pervasive today as it was in Noah's time. And to go on with this, uh, perhaps some uh, there are some good examples today. A government where power hunger is uh, rampant. A, a crime in our cities where we don't want to take care of the uh, criminals that commit these crimes. Or they attempt in our schools to teach the wrong things for our children. We shouldn't be surprised because it only reflects the norms and standards of the times. John Adams said, our second president, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern to a, uh, to the government of any other. The morality he spoke uh, about is not relative morality, and not the one that evolves a man a man evolves as some may think. It's a morality that's constant. Therefore, what was wrong 200 or 5,000 years ago is just as wrong then as it it is today. So the question is, how do we determine what is moral today if morals are always constantly changing? The answer is easy. Follow the one and only constant that guides our founding fathers, that guided our founding fathers, which should continue to guide us today. And that's the absolute truth of the word of God. On another note, of which there are many different opinions, we believe that the majority of our founding fathers were believers. And with the exception of one or two of them, they all believed that God was involved with the affairs of man, and therefore they weren't deists. Let's turn to John 16:13, And I'll read that passage once you get to it. And this is really starting to get into the meat of things of what our topic is today. But when he, and the Spirit of truth, and that's the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And that's Christ provided the word, the Holy Spirit empowers us, and he's the one who gives us the power to understand it. He will tell you what is yet to come. And again, Herod's saying, and God, the Holy Spirit leads the way to the understanding of the truth, which originates, of course, from Christ Jesus. So today, many of our citizens may be believers, but they're weak in their beliefs and their understandings of God, God's word. Therefore, the best we can hope for is that their norms and standards are closely aligned with the, uh, the divine norms and standards, and, and that they are a moral person. But we know that morals are not the solution the problems, it's our salvation and relationship with Christ that is. As John Adams said over 246 years ago, remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. That's why it's so important that churches like the National Capital Bible Church church and churches throughout the nation meet together to study the real truth and that each of us advance spiritually, individually, and as part of a church. And of this Talking about this church. Otherwise, the greatest gifts ever dispo- uh, uh, bestowed on this nation and us individually will be lost. Let's talk about a little bit about leveraging the grace of God and uh, humility by first looking at the problems that Paul had with the Corinthians because of their arrogance, somewhat mirroring what we see today. I won't spend much time in First Corinthians because our pastor has been. Uh, Delving into First Corinthians for many months. Uh, sorry, he's not with us to continue with that, because uh, and we've received a great uh, teaching on First Corinthians. But well, I'll, I'll stick in here in a little bit. Let's turn to First Corinthians four, and I'll read some things out of that. Here, uh, Paul, you'll quickly see, is using sarcasm to uh, describe the problems of the Corinthians, and and the problems they had with arrogance, and that arrogance. Included rejecting uh, Christ and his grace. <coughs> and that's unfortunate as we uh, think of ourselves. And uh, sometimes arrogance does get in the way. Uh, so starting in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 8. And I'm going to read through 13. You're already full. You're already rich. And he's talking to the Corinthians. And you can you can hear the sarcasm here. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also may reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dis- we are dishonored. To the present hour, we are both hungry, hunger and thirst, and we are poorly, poorly uh, clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we're we blessed, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as a filth of the world, the scourging of all things until now. So we can see the Corinthians had a great, great problem with humility. They were taking it out on the apostles who were trying to teach the Word of God, and they were denying that. And, uh, and they based everything on the stature of which they had in the in their society of that day. On the other hand, Paul and Apollos uh call themselves in verse one servants of God uh, of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of the God. So they knew what their position was and what their mission was. <clears throat> he knew the true strength is found in the understanding of our weaknesses and the sufficiency of Christ. And that's in Philippians four, eleven through thirteen, if you want to mark that down. So we have two opposites described here: Paul and Apollos, who possessed the humility needed to operate under divine viewpoint. They were also grace-oriented, and all always sought to be o- occupied with Christ. On the other hand, Christ uh, the Corinthians were arrogant, self-absorbed, and self-centered, operating under human viewpoint, which ultimately resulted in rejecting Paul's teaching, which is the same as rejecting God's word. So let's talk uh, now about grace, and specifically the grace God displays daily towards us. Does everyone remember what Pastor Ingham uh, gave us as a definition of grace? I'm sure you could if I pointed you out. I won't point you out. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But just in case, I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, information in case this uh, uh, fades. Of course, we always need reinforcement, I do, on a daily basis. <clears throat> so uh, it's based on the Greek word charis. It means all that is God is free, and I'll, I'll let you mimic me, free to do for man on the basis of the cross. Therefore, grace is the work of God on behalf of man, also known as God's plan for us. And as we should know, any grace we receive can never be earned or deserved. So with that definition, let's focus on uh, what grace is, which we'll see changing as we go through uh, three spiritual phases of our lives. And again, here, uh, Pastor Ingram and many pastors have taught what those three phases are. They've been drilled into us uh, many days in these uh, lessons. But let's do a quick review. As we know, reinforcing doctrines in our show is a good thing and a necessary thing because we forget. I know I forget all the time, especially when you're out of fellowship and rejecting some things and you, until you get back in. You're, you're slipping backwards, as they always say. You're either moving forward in your doctrinal intake or you're moving backward you never stand still. So, phase one, positional sanctification. The focus is on the work of uh, Christ on the cross, correct? That's your salvation. This is the grace provided uh, to us through Christ's death on the cross. This grace was provided while we were yet sinners and through the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, we use our vol- own volition to believe. And that can be found in many verses. I'll just give you some. But I'll go go through uh, another one read another one Psalm 103 8 through 12 Romans 520 Ephesians 2 8 and 9. But let's turn to Romans 3:23 now and'll I'll read that one and we'll talk about that. everyone knows this one also I think. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Here we, uh, here we uh, see once again, it's through God's grace we receive wonderful things through Him, through Christ, the greatest of all being our salvation. Now on the phase two, experiential, uh, experiential sanctification. That's our daily lives on this earth while we're here. The focus here is on the ministry of God, uh, the God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives while on this earth, which includes prayer, that's Hebrews 4.16. Suffering, that's uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Growth in our spiritual lives, that's 2 Peter 3.18. Stability, 1 Peter uh, 5.12. Faith, and that includes faith perception of the word. That's Second Corinthians one twelve and Hebrews twelve twenty eight, and a production of divine good, which is First Corinthians fifteen ten, and Second Corinthians six one. Let's talk a little bit about growth, though, and that's in Second Peter three eighteen. If you want to turn there and read along, <clears throat> and again, you probably know all these by heart. Or we'll reinforce them, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Yes, by growing, by uh, growing in in Christ, we glorify Him. Our growth glorifies God. In Second Peter three seventeen, there is a warning by Peter that since they had been given the truth, to be aware not to fall from your own steadfastness steadfastness in the truth and being led away with the error of the wickedness. The uh, Na- or Nelson Study Bible, uh, Bible emphasizes P- uh, Peter's admonishment to the readers to not fall away again from the f- truth by being led away because of wickedness. And this can include uh, arrogance also in that wickedness. So in phase two, we're able to produce divine good. And in 1 Corinthians 15.10, it reads... But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's Paul reading. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the, but the grace of God with me. So he recognizes everything is coming from the grace of God to him. And it's up to us to make sure we take those treasures, we take those, that power that he gives us all these capabilities and we use it because he's given it through his grace. But remember, when out of fellowship, at best, you can only produce human good, which is unacceptable by God and does not glorify God. No matter how good it is, it may seem from a human viewpoint, it's filthy rags. And then last, phase three, ultimate sanctification. The focus here is on the fulfillment of God's plan. And everything God will do for us as believers in eternity. And guess what? Well, we should have been spending our lives glorifying God all these years. It's now time in eternity when God gets to glorify us. So we want to make sure that we do our utmost, just like Paul continued to strive to the goal. We want to be describing to our own goal and making sure that we are glorifying God as much as we can while on this earth because he's going to glorify us when we get to heaven which is just an amazing thing and of course that's based on our spiritual performance while here on this earth let's turn to 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-one through 44 and I'll read that 1 Corinthians 15 41 through 44 starting with verse 41 there's one glory of the sun another glory of the moon Another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in the glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption, is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory, is sown in weakness, is raised in power. It is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. When you think about that, just knowing this, always remember, grace depends on who and what God is, not who and what we are. And thank God for that. Let me take a little drink of water, water break. I don't know how pastors go through a holy, without cough medicine and everything else to you truth. So, who is this God that allows this wonderful grace to flow to us? His essence divines that, of course, which includes the ten attributes we've always been taught over the years and gone over many times. But Christ uh, tells us that love, justice, and righteousness are the greatest because it's through them that we receive our salvation. So, with the imputed righteousness of God and the dwelling of Christ and the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, Christ's grace provides us with the means to live a happy life. We've gone full circle. We've gone back to the MTD. We can have a happy life. And he gives us the means to do so, whether we're faced with adversity or experiencing blessings given to him by us and from him. Man's happiness that comes from things or circumstances only can only produce a pseudo-happiness that is very shallow and rapidly goes away. In other words... The moralistic, therapeutic deism I spoke up up front is barking up the wrong tree for real happiness that is a part of your soul. So let's talk about pride versus grace a bit. First, we should note there are certain things that you can't can get in the way of God's grace and him wanting to love you and share you with all these blessings. Pride or self-centeredness is one of the most uh, prominent. Here are four points to address human pride, which keeps us from operating from a divine divine perspective and using the full power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Point one, the pride, pride that rejects eternal security. With that in mind, we think our sins are greater than the plan of God, and we can, in fact, lose our salvation. We know that's not true. Once saved, always saved. Nothing we can do. Because God took care of it on the cross, Christ took care of the cross, and that never can happen. Number two, pride the results in succumbing to the pressures of adversity. We think our suffering is too too great for God's grace to handle. Nothing we can do, and Paul saw that, uh, everything that he did, and uh, our God can take care of it in an instant if we let him. Number three, pride of pseudo spirituality. We think our works, morality, experiences, etc., can better handle the circumstances we experience in life, and are greater than the plan of God. We start going down the track that's our own plan, vice His plan. It can only result in misery. I think uh, many of us probably uh, seeing that uh, we are trying to make decisions in front of God and it didn't turn out as well as what God eventually came up with or we finally accepted he's always had it (laughs) we just have to say ah, yes, yes okay and then four pride, because of his emotions causes us to think, think our feelings are more important than Bible doctrine and therefore we turn against or just forget God's word and this is one of the most damaging things that can happen in our lives and will ultimately lead to misery. Why? Because you're rejecting God's authority, His plan for your life, and even His grace that provides everything you will ever need on this earth. This is why the new philosophy previously mentioned is being taught in many churches today, resulting in pseudo-happiness and spiritual emptiness at best, and perhaps worse causes an emotional revolt of the soul Because it places the emphasis on individual feelings and how you feel about yourself, which is human viewpoint and self-absorption. And not really happiness that comes from God. uh, And the really happiness, as we just stated, is from God's grace and his word. And that's where we get divine viewpoint. Let's, Let's turn to Romans 16, verses 17 through 18, and I'll read once we get there. Romans 16, 17 through 18 says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. You, want, you might wonder why I throw this one in here, because, because this, this focuses more on the church itself and not the individual but it is divisive in a church that can, a divisiveness in a church that can cause young believers to stumble, and which none of us want to cause. And I'll add a warning here. Woe to anyone that does, because God's wrath would be terrible. <clears throat> Do not try to get in the way of a young believer trying to learn, no matter how you know, stupid it might seem at times. Now let's look uh, again uh, at the uh, good example of grace at work. While well, many of us might never ever reach the pinnacle of spiritual life like the Apostle Paul did, his life is a great example of what God's grace in a person's life can do, even for us. Most of us know that Paul, uh, what Paul did as a Pharisee, and how he persecuted Christians, and then upon meeting Christ on the Damascus Road, he became a believer, and not only a believer, but one of the greatest believers and teachers of all times. Why? Because he's humble and grace-oriented, let's turn to First uh, Timothy one, thirteen through fourteen. Sorry, this was kind of a sword drill, but as I said, I'm not interpreting. I'm not trying to. I want to use God's word to make sure we know what's going on, and that's the best. And verse, uh, starting with verse thirteen, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which were found in Christ Jesus. So his mercy abounds, especially when we're unbelievers, He's, he's letting us get along, uh, get away a lot of thing, uh, with a lot of things. But because of his grace, he, uh, he gives us everything. And as long as we disbelieve, especially once we become believers, his faith and his love towards us, our faith and his love towards us, uh, just brings us in a, uh, puts us in a wonderful spot that we all can operate in uh, forever. So it's very, very clear uh, clear to me, this verse, it's, I was very bad and did not believe, even though God showed me mercy and Christ's abundant grace was given to me because of his of the faith and love found in him. So that's a, uh, I guess that's my interpretation. I, that's the only interpretation I'm going to do. That's my own. In his earliest writings, Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 15:9, he was the least of the apostles, and after four years of spiritual growth, he declared himself as the least of the saints, a humble service throughout his ministry. And as he progressed in his spiritual life, his ability to see truth and God's grace in everything he did that's basically bottom line. Occupation with Christ at all time became the hallmark of all his greatness, and eventually his attainment to the ultimate goal to be called a friend of our Lord. Let's turn over to Romans five one through uh, two, and I'll start with uh, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ for whom also we have access by faith into this grace of which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A pastor I once known, I uh, once said in regarding this, he says, we stand in grace or we do not stand at all. I think that's pretty pro- pro- uh, profound that, yes, we need God's grace to be able to stand. And it's, very critical that we understand we are saved by grace through faith and we also grow in Christian life through faith faith in our grace and uh, his grace we have to understand and believe what we're being taught because that's the absolute truth a good verse reflects this is 1 Corinthians 15:10 and it says by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain for I labored more abundantly than they all Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Emphasis on grace. Paul makes it clear that laboring in our spiritual lives using the grace of God has given us is required to grow spiritually. What does that grace provide? Basically, all the resources you need to advance. And all the more your labor, otherwise known as setting aside time each day to study the word of God, the faster you will attain spiritual maturity reaping all the rewards that God intends you to have in this lifetime and later in heaven. We cannot put things in front of the Word of God if you do. Bottom line, you're not to learn about God, know His path for you, and uh, know what you need to have, and also glorify Him. You should be trying to glorify Him, and by studying the Word, you glorify Him. We all have time to spend some time in the Word each day. Uh... A uh, past theologian said, uh, as O.A. Baptiste said the following, God gave us wheat, but we must take the bread. We we must bake the bread. He gave us cotton, but we must make the clothes. He gave us trees, but we must make our own homes. He uh, provides the raw materials, the the word of God, really. We must make the uh, finished product which is the mature believer that glorifies God every day through his thoughts, words, and actions. God gives us the basic materials, all the resources we need, and we have to metabolize it and apply it on our daily lives. So kind of winding down here, God made it clear to man at the beginning of human history how to worship and glorify him, that there was nothing man could do or make on his own that could please him, or even meet him halfway. God calls human good as filthy rags, and therefore God wants humility from his creation in order that we can learn and obey his word in a consistent way, and by doing so, we'll be able to glorify him. Bottom line, God's grace is his, his policy in dealing with the human race. In grace, God does all the work. There's no room for human works. Which is basic, uh, uh, the ba- which is in basic terms means you have a choice through your own volition, to either do the things your your way always, kind of like Frank Sinatra's song goes, or use the resources of God, uh, from the grace He is bestowing on us. So here are some main points regarding grace policy. And there are six of them. Grace and works are mutually exclusive, as light and not dark. Grace plus works is not grace. And I'll slow down if you want to copy those things. First one, grace and works are mutually exclusive as light and dark. Number two, grace plus works is not grace. Number three, works involve many things, such as motive, intent, purpose. Point number four, and again, works include involve many things such as motive, intent, purpose. Point four, the attitude behind works is always pride. And just a note, and let me say here, pride is not part of works being done when under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Those are, uh, that's divine good, and uh, so that's uh, definitely appropriate. Point five, the attitude that accepts grace is always humility. Humility. The attitude that accepts grace is always humility. Then point six, grace plus humility equals power. It is a power that will amaze each one of us many times as we go through the life, allowing God to be in charge because we know not through our study of the word. So as a final note, always remind, uh, remember that grace is a resource that is never earned or deserved and a resource we can either choose to use or not use. As believers, we all stand in the sphere of grace where all the riches of God are available to us. In just the same way these riches were made available to Paul, even with his past failings, they are likewise made available to us, no matter what our past was like. I'll end with two great verses that you'll recognize immediately and probably used in your prayers. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 8. Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. Everything he did on the cross and beyond that, he did for us. So we can have those riches too. And now Luke eighteen fourteen. Let's turn back to there. Five books beforehand, I guess. No, more than that. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, meaning arrogant, rather than the other, a man with humility. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. These two verses encapsulate what we just went over today. The first gives us the source of the grace we receive based on the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ while on this earth and ultimately on the cross bearing our sins. This act was the epitome of being humble and Christ knowing that the Father, Father's will must be done. And in that, he prayed the following in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's Luke 22:42 the epitome of being humble. The second verse tells us each of our attitudes towards Christ's grace depends, uh, determines whether we'll reap the benefits of the resources Christ gives us in his, this life through his grace, or if instead we waste these resources in denying and receiving the rewards awards that Christ and the Lord have designed for us. They've always been there. Escrow account waiting for us to take advantage of all of them. And we'll end with uh, Philippians 4:11 through15, that should motivate us as we leave here today, to receive all of God's grace and wants, uh, and have the attitude that we need to have in our relationship with Christ. Starting with verse uh, verse 11. "I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. This is a wonderful verse and saying. Without what Christ gives us through grace, we have no strength to execute God's plan in our lives, which includes all under all types of circumstances we might be faced while we're on this earth. And Cedar. Second Peter 3:18 uh, tells us the growing grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Well, we have to grow in the knowledge. We have to be in fellowship to be able to grow, and it's through His grace and His resources that we're we understand more and more of what He's given us, so we can accomplish our things in life. But again, to do this, we have to uh, have humility and to follow Him and accept His absolute truths. And when we do this, we know that uh, that we will love Christ with a personal love, because all of all he's done for us. Yes, a response to his grace with humility will dictate how we will advance in our spiritual lives. And I think I have time just to share with you before we pray and before we uh, uh, sing another hymn. Uh, it was a template provided to uh, Rick Hughes, if you remember his name, and he used this with kids, and I thought it was a pretty good list uh, of uh, the Christian Christian walk. I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, eight points and it just said the first point, be saved. And that's in John 14, 6. Next one is, so you have to be saved. Be cleansed. You name your, name your sins. And we've given many verses of that. The next one is, be faithful. Be faithful to God all the time, paying attention to His His plan for you. Number four, be compassionate, forgive others, and love one another. Five, be humble. That's what we talked about together. Humility allows teachability. Number six, be confident. Have faith and trust in God. Number seven was be extraordinary. Seize the mission represented uh, to represent Christ, and that's probably going out and deliver a. Uh, uh, the the Word of God to others, the salvation message. And then eight, be prepared. Satan's world and his systems are evil. So be prepared to counter that. So with that, I will close. Uh, close us in prayer. And uh, thank you for bearing with me. And hopefully you were edified by some of the uh, things coming from the Word of God. Not my mouth, but from the Word of God. And uh, and. Stuff that I've taken from, I've stolen from other people. So with that, let's go to prayer. Dear Father, thank you for this opportunity, for giving us the chance to continually learn about your word, to edify it in our own bodies. That's part of the grace that you give, uh, give us, the resources you give us, and only by knowing you more and more on a daily basis can we understand your plan in our lives and then, uh, and also share that with others. So uh, with that in mind, we we thank you for the ability to come to this church and learn your, your word and pray that uh, you'll be with, with uh, Pastor Ingram today as he tries to recover and pray, uh, pray for the family as he, uh, they, they assist him and pray for all of us as we go our own ways and uh, enjoy the, the rest of your day. We ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.